0: Welcome everyone to Two Guys to the Dark Tower Came, a podcast where we discuss the characters, connections, and deeper meanings of Stephen King's Magnum Opus, The Dark Tower. I'm Jay Russo. And I'm Sean McGurr. You can find more information about the podcast at Two Guys to the dark tower You can also email us at 2 guys dark tower at gmail.com. In this episode, we'll cover the Night Flyer, found in nightmares and dreamscapes. Let's
1: start the show. Richard Dees is a reporter for Inside View, a tabloid newspaper with a fraught relationship with the truth, publishing articles about flying saucers and dogs that can do calculus. Dees is on the trail of what might be a hell of a story, a serial killer with a pilot's license murdering people at small airports by draining them of their blood. The headlines write themselves. But as Dees gets closer to his subject he realizes that his belief that the lunatic may think he is a vampire may be all too real. I made that sound exciting, Jay. Yeah, the story was exciting. It didn't
0: need any help. Greetings, constant listeners. Want to support the show?
1: Check out our Patreon page to learn how you can access exclusive content. We've set up three patron levels, Apprentice, Gunslinger, and Cotet. Each level provides rewards as a thank you from us to you. Find out more information at patreon.com slash twoguysdarktower. Thanks again for being a loyal listener. It did not. So we're reviewing the short story, The Night Flyer, not the film, starring the great character actor Miguel Ferrer. May he rest in peace.
0: Yes. Miguel Ferrer is awesome. Even if I don't always remember his name.
1: Yeah, I, I think I called him Jose Ferrer in a very early episode of this podcast. Mm-hmm. And, and I did not correct you. <laughs> and our friend Grant gave us grief for it for the next couple of weeks. So, But yes, Miguel Ferrer is great. We're, we're not covering that at this point in time. We are just covering the, the short story. And this is a story that was first published in Prime Evil, New Stories by the Masters of Modern Horror in 1988. And it was a short story that was commissioned specifically for that publication that King wrote. And then it was collected in 1993's Nightmares and Dreamscapes, which was his third collection of short stories. And as he notes in the introduction, it was the last of his vault. And he said, this might be my last book of short stories because I've dug out everything that I had in my drawers and found places and any new short story or any new collections that I will come out will have all new short stories. And I think for the most part, that's true. I, I took a quick look through some of the other short story collections and they do seem to be all stories that came after 1993. Cool. And it's sort of interesting because we've joked about this before in this introduction. And a rem- reminder, this is 1993. He also talks about possibly being out of ideas. <laughs> King is not sure how much more writing he's going to be doing in 1993 because the wells run, run dry a bit for him. And he's like, you know, This is the last of my short stories. I've got a few ideas for a few more books, but I don't know if there's going to be any more short story collections because I don't really have a lot more ideas. Reminder, this was 26 years ago, and he's probably had at least 26 books that have come out since then.
0: Yeah, I mean, how many times has he said he was going to retire? How many times has he said, I'm not going to write anymore? I'll just publish stuff that I already have in the can. Yeah. He's going to stop writing the day he dies.
1: Yep. And I'm sure that his publisher will have three books that he'll still continue to publish after King has gone off from this world. But hopefully that is not for quite some time yet. Indeed, He also uses the introduction to nightmares and dreamscapes to attack his critics, which also seems to be a theme of King. Uh, But it's interesting that he gets in there and, you know, he talks about how critics have called him a hack and that he's not really a hack and that sometimes critics are just criticizing to criticize and they don't really have a good sense of what's good and what's bad. And he points to two recent books that one was critically acclaimed and he thinks is terrible. And another one is barely noticed and was not reviewed. And he thinks it's the great American novel. So it's interesting because I point that out because a little bit of that's the theme of the story of the night flyer as well. We'll talk a little bit more about it, but Dee's is somebody who does the work. He's a little bit of a hack or people might call him a hack, but he's actually really good at his job. Yes. We'll talk a little bit about that later. I think to some extent, King has a connection with these, but in other ways, he doesn't. And then as we mentioned, it uh, be, this became a movie in 1997, so four years after the publication of Nightmares and Dreamscapes.
0: All the imagery that I've seen of the movie, which I have not seen the movie itself, makes this vampire creature look quite grotesque. They could have gone in any direction, really, because in the story, we never get a description of his appearance. In fact, Deez only sees him in his invisible reflection. Yeah. All he ever sees is the hand that caresses his cheek. We don't know what this creature looks like. He could look like just any person. Right. Just wears a big cape with a high collar because he's all into the the Dracula look. Yep. They make him look really monstrous in,
1: in, in the movie adaptation. I'm looking forward to seeing it. It's not easy to find. I don't think it's streaming anywhere. So you have to find the DVD where you can. I've got it on hold at the library and hopefully we'll get a chance to watch it in the coming weeks. One of the interesting things about
0: this story is that this is a very focused genre. This is the the vampire story. King has taken this and set it in the present day. It adds a new wrinkle because when we think of vampires, we think of Dracula and even older times like one of the characteristics of vampires is that they're immortal and they've been around forever kind of thing so having this guy set in the the story set in the present day and this vampire for some reason is flying a small plane around yeah and his coffin that he has to sleep through the day in is the cargo hold of his airplane that's so weird that i love it but it's like so not what i would ever picture a vampire doing I wonder if what we do in the shadows lampoons this at all. Like, Oh, we've got a vampire has to fly around the country. And uh, another aspect of this is that of the story is that the sort of a detective story. I mean, Dee's is not a detective. He's a reporter, but he's still in that same vein. It's, it's almost written like a noir and it's the gritty, hard boiled investigative reporter plush vampire story that comes out in this wonderful new uh, invention of Kings that, uh, I don't know if this has been done before exactly, but it's a vampire story and it's a hard-boiled detective story and it's set in the present day, but it's still written like a noir. But it involves both the protagonist and the antagonist flying Cessnas around. And it's just so random, but it's good.
1: Vampire stories have been updated for modern times, but in reading this, this still felt even more modern. And I think part of that is... It's in airplanes. It's taking place at airports. It seems even something like Lost Boys or Interview with a Vampire when it's set in Today's Present or even Salem's Lot, all of those still seem to have a lot of the, the trappings of a vampire story, whether it be like a haunted house or the coffins or those types of things. Whereas this one, it has a twist on all that. Mm-hmm. And I think that that makes it, even though this is what now 20 some years old, 30 some years old almost, it still feels current and up to date. And a lot of that also might have to do with the fact that, and this is a good transition to our first topic, is that Dees is a reporter of sorts. He works for Inside View, which is something along the lines of Weekly World News or the National Enquirer or the Midnight Star. That it's just a hacky newspaper, right? Like, it's got these stories that are unbelievable and off the, and we still have those today. Bat Boy Strikes Again. Exactly. And that's really what you get the feel for. What's interesting about this is that Dees is really good at his job. Like, if I was writing for one of those papers, I would probably never leave my house, right? Mm -hmm. You could just write whatever. He's got the information, he could just use the police reports that he's got or call up these airports, but he flies his own personal plane each one of these and back trails this entire Renfield is the name he's going by to find out where he was. And then he interviews people and he does legitimate interviews with people. And then he gets leads from them. Like did this guy who land, take a cab into town? No. Oh, well, let me call all the cab companies to make sure. Well, maybe he took a limo. No, let me call all the limo companies to make sure. Let me call all the hotels. Like he's doing a really good job of tracking this down when really he could just write whatever, because as he says, his motto is don't believe what you write and don't write what you believe, which is the most cynical thing you could ever have, but <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> it, it's fantastic. And yet he's he's still taking it seriously. He lives by that motto because
0: it's like armor for him. It's armor for his sanity. He has colleagues who have lost their minds in a way because they've started to kind of buy their supply. And yeah. he's saying I can never write anything I believe, and I can never believe anything I write, and that that's where I will stay on an even keel. I'll, it'll separate me from the craziness that my newspaper publishes. Right? Yep. The story is just him realizing he can. He has no choice but to believe. He ends up in that same place of having a breakdown of of sorts that his colleagues have had in the past because he's finally encountered that 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 thing that he can't deny. It made me wonder. Like, remember when Susanna? instantly appeared, like materialized in New York City. Yes. And that one woman that happened to be walking by saw this happen and it just wrecked her life. Right. What would Dees write about that? What what would he say in his story about this? Like, woman materializes in, you know, Manhattan sidewalk. Legs grow out of, you know, short legs or or out of pants or something like that. You know? <laughs> and uh and then she stands up and walks off and like nothing happened right or would he what if he was the one who witnessed it and would that just be like all right i'm not even going to write this story uh that's yeah
1: that's too much exactly i think that that's exactly what it, what it would have been because he questions his faith right like mm-hmm. he doesn't want to believe and if he does believe he realizes it's going to wreck him yeah so he has no faith and that's directly tied in to another person we know who's associated with vampires, and that's Father Callahan. Right. Callahan's downfall is that he has no faith, and that's what's able to have, you know, spoiler alert for Salem's Lot, which we boiled back in book five of The Dark Tower, but uh-huh. he doesn't believe that his symbol, his cross that he's holding up is going to keep the vampires away, and that's what's able to, to be his downfall. So it's directly related in that way to Father Callahan.
0: The fact that Dees has no faith is just one aspect of the fact, one aspect of his personality that kind of revolves around the fact that he's, in a way, a kind of vampire, right? Yes. He doesn't drink blood, he doesn't have to sleep during the day, but he describes himself in a way that makes it seem like he might be a sociopath. He doesn't have empathy, he doesn't have earthly personal connections to people, he thinks of his camera. Is the closest thing to a wife that, that he, yep. he's had in his life, but he
1: also doggedly pursues his prey. And he does so because he can smell blood. Right. He sniffs out the blood, and that's why he's so upset with his editor, because his editor found this story before he did, mm-hmm. and he should have known. He should have smelled the blood.
0: There's a direct parallel between how the vampire is getting around in the Cessna and Dee's is getting around in a Cessna. So these are both small craft pilots. And they both have the ability to smell blood, one maybe literally, the other figuratively, but still, they're pursuing the blood. They're pursuing the disaster of life, you know, so one can consume it and the other can write a story about it in a you know, schlocky tabloid.
1: And to your point of him being a sociopath, Dees has a very dim view of his audience. Mm-hmm. When he's talking about the Penguin story, he titles it Alien Intelligence at the North Pole even though he knows penguins are probably the ones who live at the South Pole. But he says, alien intelligence are two things that our readers like, perhaps because a majority of them felt like the former aliens and sense in themselves a deep deficiency of the latter intelligence. <laughs> he just knows, like, they're not smart. They're just picking this stuff up to read it. And that's why he can just write what you don't believe, because who cares? They're going to eat it up anyways. Mm-hmm.
0: The other aspect of Deez's uh, sociopathic tendencies is that his obsession with photography, he wants to see his subjects like truth. And there's something that he likes to capture in his photography that reminds me of a f- handful of serial killer characters that I've come across in TV shows and movies and books where they connect to their victim through photography. And they... Often photograph their final moment of life or something along those lines. It's like, okay, the only way I can get you to give me the portrait that I want to capture is your the suffering of the last moment of your life or something. So, and I I kind of feel like Dee's could, with just the right push, just the right experience, become a serial killer because he has all these skills and he has access to things like a plane and he. He knows how to, you know, schmooze his his interview subjects, right? And maybe this experience with the vampire, like these, might end up the next chapter of this story that King didn't write. Like, is Dee's the serial killer going around town on his airplane, killing
1: people? Yeah. And did the vampire frame him because he's stuck there with a bunch of dead guys? Yeah. And the police are coming in, and he's got no evidence that he's not responsible he's been to all the places where people have died Mm -hmm. and he's the only person there so he's going to have a lot of explaining to do uh when those police show up as as to what's going on because his film has been ripped off he's got no can't point to anything so yeah jay this is not any sort of direct connection to dark tower as far as we can tell but there's still a little bit of dark tower thinnies here i think
0: yeah I think through the transitive property, we can come up with a couple of thinnies. (laughs) For example, we've got vampires. Callahan messed with vampires. And Callahan's in the Dark Tower. So that's a thinny, right? That works for
1: me. Another sort of roundabout connection is that Richard Dees, who I keep wanting to call Rick Dees, but he's not the DJ from the 80s made a brief appearance in Stephen King's novel, The Dead Zone. So this is a character that stuck with King and he's brought back for his own uh, starring turn in this short story. Yeah, that's pretty cool. So if we figure all this out, like, it really is the Stephen King multiverse. All these things are connected.
0: Yeah, I think if you think about it hard enough, you can find a Dark Tower connection in every one of Stephen King's books, right? Yes. Well, this one was also written by Stephen King. (laughs) Therefore, (laughs) it's a Dark Tower connection. And then within the world of these vampire stories, there's a connection between this and Popsy, which follows immediately after, I believe, in Nightmares and Dreamscapes. So King has
1: said in the endnotes Is the little boy's grandfather the same creature that demands Richard Dees open his camera and expose his film at the conclusion of the Night Flyer? You know, I rather think he is. Yeah. So he's saying, without directly saying, that Popsy is. The Nightflyer, who was Dwight Renfeld's, uh, Renfield in the in the Nightflyer. So even more connections,
0: right? If Popsy and Nightflyer have the same vampire in it, just building the, these worlds. Like I was waiting for, like when I was reading Popsy, I was waiting for like uh, his plane to land, <laughs> but there is no plane in Popsy. So
1: there's no plane. No, no. I will say in reading that note, Jay that notice he doesn't say that the grandfather is the night flyer or the grandfather is the title creature, the night flyer. He says the grandfather is the same creature that does this at the end of the night flyer. It almost made me wonder if the night flyer is a dual title. I think as we're reading this story, we're meant to think the night flyer is the vampire that's going around killing people. Mm-hmm. But I think we could also see, and this gets back to the fact that D's is very much like a vampire that he is also the night flyer in fact we yeah. we see him flying at the end of the story chronologically he is flying his plane at night and the lights are going out and we have this dramatic thunderstorm and almost crash so i think the night flyer is a dual dual title for either one of these characters
0: yeah that also like adds another layer to the title of the story like night flyer is one who flies at night and also like Flyer, as in pamphlet, so kind of like a connection to the tabloid, Uh, you know. So it's it's the tabloid that only gets printed in the the shadows of of night, kind of thing. Yes. So and now it's also maybe Dee's is the the night flyer because he flies at night. It's all there. A lot of layers. Be crafty there, King. Another very loose Dark Tower thingy uh, is that Dee's had crafted this name of the night flyer for his headlines. Yes, there's a line that that says d s had a name all picked out for him. It burned in his mind as a valuable coin might burn in a man's pocket or like a schkolpata right oh, uh, oh, you know that that turtle had a lot of power that just that valuable coin and the the magical turtle it uh connected in my mind so yeah, thinny. he it's a thin one, but I'll give it to you. One more thinny is that Popsy's green eyes suddenly turned as red as blood roses. Blood roses, you say? Like the can-can-ore? Oh. Mmm. King likes to talk about these blood roses, blood red roses, so
1: So the thin thinniest of thinnies, but they're they're there if you if you look hard enough. We don't have to look quite as hard for fun stuff, though, Jay. No,
0: this is chock-a-block.
1: I mentioned before how King had reused the character of Richard Dees from The Dead Zone into this story. It's also interesting that there is another writer, Kim Newman, who used the character of the Night Flyer as well as the character of Rainbird from Firestarter into a his own short story called You Are the Wind Beneath My Wings. I have not read that story, but it's sort of interesting that he, he pulled two different stephen king characters into his own book
0: can you do that like can you just get out your word processor and use a character from somebody else's book and then write your own story with it i'm guessing he probably got king's blessing okay seems like a copyright violation (laughs) one item of fun stuff in this story is the asshole brothers of london where the editor morrison buys his tweed jackets i just uh (laughs) i love that like Like, Dees hates this guy so much. He's like, you probably buy your your suits at the asshole brothers of London.
1: (laughs) So, I mentioned that this story was written originally in 1988 and then republished in 1993. This version references Danny DeVito as the penguin in the Batman movie, and also that Magic Johnson had AIDS. And neither one of those was relevant in 1988. So, King must have done a little bit of light revising between the original version in 1993. If anyone wants to take a look and compare the two to see if there are any other significant changes, uh, I'd be interested in it, but not interested enough to do that work myself.
0: Seems like an unnecessary revision. I'm curious what he changed
1: it from. I don't know, the Danny DeVito thing? Yeah, did he make like a... Now I can't remember the guy. Burgess Meredith? The Burgess Meredith (laughs) joke. And then the Magic Johnson AIDS thing, I think he probably just added. I mean, I don't know some enterprising listener go out and go out and do that comparison. Tell us what you find. I guess I'm, I'm
0: revealing my immature tendencies here. First, it's the asshole brothers of London. And then the next fun stuff item I wanted to call out was the line. Most of the time, old Claire wouldn't say shit if he had a mouthful. I love it. That's, that's one of those ones. I got to work into my own rotation. Well, that guy, he wouldn't say shit unless he had a mouthful. or even if he had a mouthful. Something else I wanted to talk about in our fun stuff section is the physics and, I guess, biology of the vampire reflection. Where it really became puzzling to me was that when the vampire was peeing in the men's room, Dee's was looking at him in the mirror, so he didn't see the vampire. All he saw was urine appearing in the urinal but he didn't see the arc of the stream. He only saw once it had hit the porcelain. Yes. I know King's just like making it up here, but why does it have to hit something before it becomes visible? Why is it the air doesn't count? I don't know. It just, why there? Why does it just stay invisible? It also made me wonder, why are his clothes invisible? Deez could see right through the entire vampire because he was seeing his reflection. Is it the vampire who's invisible, not his clothes? Or is are his clothes like part of his disguise? So they're like, they're not real. They're just, I, I sound like I'm nitpicking. I'm just, I just think it's funny that King decided this is where I draw the line
1: <laughs> between
0: vampire magic and the real world. And it's
1: at the urinal. Well, most of what I know about monsters comes from Scooby-Doo. And when vampires would change in Scooby-Doo, when, when, when they are fighting real monsters and not just somebody in a mask, mm. and the vampire would turn into a bat and then turn back from a bat, he'd still have his clothes on. He wouldn't reappear naked. So the clothes either are part of the vampire or something along those lines.
0: So the cape and the high collar and the red velvet
1: lining, thats yeah. that's his bat wings? Possibly. I mean, that's how it works, right? It's not like vampires are walking around naked all the time. Right. But I don't know. Maybe it's a chemical reaction with the porcelain. I don't know. (laughs) Well, the urine's still attached to his body at that point. It's not until it hits the porcelain that it's totally separated.
0: Okay. I mean, the Scooby-Doo logic is irrefutable. (laughs) So I'll just have to go with it.
1: There's a reference to Anne Rice... As well in this book, one of the victims is reading the vampire Lestat when, when her body is found drained of blood. Mm -hmm. I'm sure Anne Rice seems to have thought about all of the minute details of vampire and vampire magic. We probably should ask her for a final ruling on how, how vampire magic and urine and clothing works.
0: I don't think Anne Rice's vampires have any form of excretia. Ah, They only consume, they don't secrete. Unless it's tears, right? They they cry blood.
1: Well, yeah, because that looks cool. Yeah. I'm not sure if peeing blood looks as cool.
0: Yeah, I don't remember ever reading about how Louis was so sad and he had to go pee. Yeah. (laughs) A lot of Louis was so sad, but. Yes. The last item of fun stuff that I had was the, the closing line of the story. He thought he would see it forever. So basically, Dee's is going to be haunted by the vision of piss in a drain. Because that was the line before it. Yes. All he saw and he thought he would see it forever. Like, okay. That's, That's quite the haunting image.
1: Just piss circling
0: the drain. Damn.
1: I don't think there's anything more we can end it on except for that, Jay, so. (laughs) On that note, that's all for this episode of Two Guys to the Dark Tower Came. Thanks, Jay. Thank you. Links to all of our contact information is available in the show notes. You can email us at twoguysdarktower at gmail.com, and our Twitter handle is at twoguysdarktower. You can also find us on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash twoguysdarktower, or join our Facebook group at facebook.com. Slash group slash two guys dart tower. If you like the show, please rate us on Apple Podcasts. Next episode, join us as we start our coverage of Salem's Lot. We'll begin with the prologue. For Jay Russo, I'm Sean McGurr. Thanks for listening. Episode
0: 69. Nice. Nice. We're keeping it really mature here. (laughs)